Hi, Redwood. It's so good to see you. Welcome to those of you in person. Special hello to those of you joining us online. Seems like every week I'm meeting people who I have never met before. And so if I haven't had a chance to meet you in person, my name is Melissa and I'm one of the pastors here. I used to have a really good friend named Jane. Uh, Jane and I worked together, actually. I was a family pastor and she was the children's pastor. And so she was the pastor of my own kids. And uh, Jane and I would work together in the morning at the morning church services, and then we would attend the evening service together. And my husband, Jay, was the pastor at the evening service. So she was the pastor to my kids, and Jay was the pastor to Jane. And so needless to say, we knew each other quite well, and we really loved one another. Throughout her life, one of Jane's greatest desires was that she would meet somebody, that she would get married, and that she would become a mom, that she would have a family. Yet Jane waited for God to bring this about. Now, as a children's pastor, she poured her desire to love kids into loving the kids in her children's ministry, but it wasn't the same. At the end of the day, they still went home to their own moms and dads, and I know that Jane prayed many desperate prayers. God, why don't you just come through? How long will I have to wait? When Jane was around 40, we rejoiced with her when she met the love of her life, Sam. They planned to get married and start a family soon afterwards, but before they could even begin with the wedding plans, Jane got diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of cancer. The doctors told her that there was no cure and that death would come quick. But Jane died one of the most inspiring deaths that I have ever had the privilege of witnessing. Somehow through her death, her character and her faith shined through. And in one of those ways where we saw her faith and her character shine through was actually on her wedding day. I have a picture of it here. This is Jane on her wedding day. This was the last time that she left the hospital. And shortly after her wedding, she was moved into hospice care for the last days of her life. From the bed of her hospice, she wrote this in her blog. So this is what Jane wrote. Joy will come in living out whatever days I have with joy and even helping others find joy. If I can find joy in the hospital, I can find it in a hospice or wherever God would place me. My heart is still okay, faring well, and trying to make the most of my family times. Not sure how quickly my cancer will progress over the next while, but I will continue to journey with joy. I keep hearing in the back of my thoughts, through deep suffering comes deep joy. Deep suffering, deep joy. I feel this will be the breath I breathe. Deep suffering, deep joy. And they, Jane finished the blog post with this. Still we know the result. God wins. How is it that Jane was able to have deep joy in the midst of her deep sorrow? Well, she already knew what it was to wait on God. She had already experienced throughout her life many moments where she was weeping and she felt God weeping with her. And her ultimate hope came from her belief that Jesus wins. In fact, he has already won. She knew that if he didn't heal her miraculously in this life, that soon she would experience ultimate healing in the life to come. I'm sure that Jane is with Jesus right now. As I was preparing for this message today, I kept thinking about Jane. 
And I kept thinking about the way that she died and how this kind of death is possible for those of us who put our faith in Jesus. And we believe that death is not the end, that there's something on the other side. Today, we're reading a story from the book of John. And we're going to see how Jesus enters into the deep suffering and sorrow of the ones whom he loves. And as he does this, he tells us something about who he thinks he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we will see how he comes really close, really near, when we are most feeling grief and death. (coughs) Excuse me, and loss. And by his promise that he is the way, or the resurrection and the life, we can have hope. We can enter into those seasons with hope and maybe even a little bit of joy. So we're going to read from John 11. And we're actually going to read from most of the chapter. So we're going to read selected passages from John 11. And the context is this. Jesus is in Galilee. And he gets word from two of his close friends, sisters named Mary and Martha, who are in Judea, that their brother Lazarus is sick. So they send word to Jesus, asking Jesus to come. So we're going to pick up in John 11, verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And so Jesus and his friends begin the journey back to Judea. And they would have known that this was a dangerous proposition. The last time Jesus was in Judea, people tried to stone him to death. But he still goes. When he's on the journey, before he has reached Lazarus and Judea, somehow Jesus knows what has happened. And so he says this to his disciples in verse 14. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. In verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And then we read in a few verses that a crowd has gathered, people from the town to support and grieve with Mary and Martha. So keep in mind that everything that follows from here forward, Jesus is doing in front of a crowd of onlookers. And so we'll start again in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was or who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been dead for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, so they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we move on. Jesus, you tell us that you are the resurrection and the life. Yet we live now in the shadow of death. And this can be very scary. Sometimes we don't know what to do with it. And we acknowledge that life is full of loss and grieving and sorrow. And so by the power of your spirit, would you show us how you are the resurrection and the life? And would you help us to live in that reality that we might even catch a glimpse of that resurrection life now. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, this is a heavy message because this is a heavy story. But it's in the scriptures, and we're in this sermon series where we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus, and so we're going to cover it. And I think we need to cover it because this is a reality that we will all face at some point in our lives, and when Jesus enters in, there is hope. So our story today is about grief and sorrow and loss, but also life. It might seem unfathom, unfathomable right now, especially if you are in the midst of deep sorrow, that in the midst of our sorrow, new life can be found. But with everything that Jesus does, he does this in an unexpected way. So today we're going to look at how Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and the way that he is the resurrection and the life, where this comes about as he waits, as he weeps, and as he wins. Waiting is hard. I grew up in a hockey family, and I know that many of you are probably hockey fans or are in hockey families. And we played hockey. Well, I didn't play hockey so much, except sometimes some pond hockey. But my brother and my sister played hockey, and I spent a lot of time at the rink watching them. Uh, we also watched a lot of hockey on TV, mostly because my dad is a huge hockey fan. But actually, he's not necessarily a fan of the game. He's a fan of a particular team. He has been a fan of the Vancouver Canucks since they joined the NHL in 1970. And I, too, am a Canucks fan. I'm sorry, I admit it. My husband, Jay, is also a Canucks fan. And I'm going to tell you something. Sean, our new worship pastor, I found out, is also a Canucks fan. But for those of us who are Canucks fans, there has been a lot 
of waiting <laughs> and waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> My dad has been watching the Canucks since 1970. That's 50 years of watching and waiting. Waiting is hard, but unlike our relentless wait for the Canucks that may never come to fruition, I sure hope it does, but it might not for the Canucks to win the Stanley Cup. Sometimes waiting has a purpose. In our reading today, Jesus and, Jesus and his disciples get word that Lazarus is sick, that he's ill, and that things are not going well. But instead of going to Lazarus, Jesus does something that is kind of curious and a little bit confusing. It's our first story, or it's our first point today. Jesus waits. Jesus didn't just wait, but he waited two whole days before he left for Judea. Why does he do this? If I heard that my friend was sick and I had the power to end it, to stop it, I would have been there as quickly as possible. But Jesus waits two days. So Jesus says this to his disciples. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. So. I did this so this other thing would happen. I waited two days so that you may believe. So that you may believe. Jesus perfectly timed his arrival so that people would believe. See, even if we did the calculations and we looked at a map and we saw how long it would take Jesus to get there, he actually would not have made it in time before Lazarus died. But he still waits two days. He prolongs the grief and the suffering that his friends are feeling. Why does he do this? Why does it have to do with them believing? Well, when Jesus was alive during that time, there was this common belief that a person wasn't really dead until they had been dead for three days. So Jesus gets there and Lazarus has been dead for four. What they believed is that at the three-day mark was when the soul really departed and death was irreversible. So when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he's not raising him from a sleep or from a coma. He's actually reversing death. Jesus needed everybody there to see this because he wanted to give them the best chance of believing. His desire is that we would believe and not just believe for the sake of believing, but believing so that we could experience the resurrection and the life. But we'll get to that in a moment. First, a little caveat. Sometimes we're in a season of waiting for something, and God may not be the reason why we are waiting for something. It might be the result of sin and death and evil in the world. So I don't want to make us believe that waiting always has a purpose. If somebody that you know is waiting on something right now, Please don't say, God must be in this, or God is in this, or God has a bigger plan. For those of us waiting for something, that can be one of the most hurtful things that we can hear. Because sometimes, God isn't the reason why the wait is happening. But if we invite him in, he can do something very powerful and significant in the waiting, something that he might not have otherwise been able to do. If this story is true, and I believe it is because it's the word of God, then sometimes our waiting is the result of God's timing. It has to do with his timing being better than our timing. But again, this is not helpful for us when we're in the midst of waiting, waiting that can feel really painful. And so we question God. And we see in our story that it's okay. When Jesus arrives at Bethany, 
And Mary and Martha go to him. They say, Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If only you had been here. Sounds an awful lot like questioning Jesus' timing, doesn't it? If only, if only, if only. Our lives are riddled with if onlys. Where have you been waiting on Jesus? Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother, my sister, my mother, my father, my wife, my husband wouldn't have died. If only you hadn't intervened, or if only you had intervened, my marriage wouldn't be over. If only you had given me a better family history, I wouldn't be this messed up. <laughs> if only you had spared us COVID-19, we wouldn't be seeing the deep divide in our country, in our province, in our city, and even our families. A common falsehood in the faith is don't question Jesus. Don't question the will of God. If I question Jesus, then he will be angry at me. He will be silent towards me. He might punish me. But our story today tells us this is not true. It's okay to question him. Mary and Martha both say, if only you had been here. And Jesus doesn't get angry at them. He doesn't punish them for their lack of faith. Instead, he does this. He sees that Mary and the crowd are weeping, and he doesn't chastise them. Instead, we read that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, the original Greek words for deeply moved in spirit and troubled mean something like he was indignant. He was agitated. It literally means to snort with agitation. Jesus was having this visceral reaction to seeing his friends in pain, but he was not indignant towards them. The second thing that he does is he asks them to tell, asks where they have laid Lazarus to rest. He wants to go to the heart of their grief. He wants to see where their brother has been laid to rest. And they say this to Jesus, come and see. Come and see. Jesus wants to go in the very, very depth of their pain and their sorrow, and they don't shut him out. They don't put up walls. They say, come and see. When we feel lost or death or mourning, Jesus is saying, show it to me. Let me in. And his hope is that we would follow in the footsteps of Mary and Martha, and we would say, come and see. Come and see how my relationship is ending after years of prayer that you would fix it. Come and see the grief that I have over the death of an ideal that I had, maybe a career that I thought I would have, or a spouse that I thought I would have, or a house that I thought I would have. Come and see me as I'm overcome with grief and sorrow over the loss of my loved one, my spouse, my parent, my child, my friend. Come, Jesus, and witness my pain. Come and see the result of your waiting. And this is followed by the shortest verse in the entire Bible. When Jesus says, show me your pain, and we say, come and see, we read that Jesus wept. This is our second point today. Jesus weeps. And he doesn't just shed one little tear or tear up a, well, just a tiny bit. In the story, Jesus weeps so much he cries so hard that the people around him proclaim, look how much he loved Lazarus. This is the glory of God. God incarnate, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ enters into the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of the world that he created and he weeps with us. 
When I was 16, I was bullied at school. Uh, I spent the summer before grade 11 um, getting bullied a little bit. And when grade 11 started, I hoped that things would be different. So during the first week of school, my friends invited me to meet them during lunchtime in front of the school office. And I thought, oh, good, it's finally over. We can put that behind us. We can move on. But instead, I entered into what looked like a scene from a high school, a bad teenage high school movie, but it was happening in real life. So I got there. There's a crowd of about 20 people. And as I walked up to the crowd, they formed a circle around me. And I could see that my best friends were in the circle. And then the guy who I had had a crush on since junior high started mocking me and teasing me in front of everybody. And I realized that this was premeditated, that they had planned this, that they had set this up to teach me a lesson, or I don't know what they were doing. And I'm not going to talk about what led up to this or what they said, but it was awful. I wanted to die. I wanted the floor to swallow me up, and I didn't want to go on anymore. This felt like death. So I went home, and I told my parents about it. And I was expecting that they would immediately get angry and spring into action and call the principal and call those kids' parents and do all that stuff, but they didn't. They came into my room, and they sat down with me on my bed, and they wept. They entered into my sorrow with me. Problem-solving action could come later, but in that moment, I just needed to be sad, I needed to grieve, and I needed to not be alone. My parents wept because they're my parents. What good parent wants to see their child in pain? This is why Jesus wept, because of his deep love for his friends. But it goes even deeper than this. Some biblical, biblical scholars suggest, and I believe with them, that Jesus also probably wept because he is God and he wept for humanity. When Jesus first meets Martha, he says this to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The opposite of resurrection and life is death. The text doesn't say so, but I think it's probably fair to say that Jesus' indignation, his weeping, was aimed at death. And probably Satan, who uses death to his advantage and brings more sorrow and pain into the world. And Jesus, he doesn't just bring resurrection and life, he is the resurrection and the life. In this way, he is thoroughly incompatible with death. Jesus, as the resurrection and the life, does not get along with death. In fact, Jesus hates death and the sorrow that comes with it. The human Jesus enters into the deep sorrow and grief of humanity of his friends, and he weeps. The divine Jesus hates death and everything that comes along with it, and he weeps for humanity. But it doesn't end with weeping. Jesus waits, and then Jesus weeps. And then Jesus wins, which is our last point. So remember, the crowd is watching. After a brief prayer, where Jesus reiterates again, again for the third time in our passage, that what he is doing this so that people will believe, he calls out in a loud, authoritative voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus does. And he's wrapped up in grave clothes, 
And he instructs the crowd to remove the grave clothes so Lazarus can be free and he can live. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, this is what he's talking about. He has raised Lazarus' body, but this is bodily. He's raised him to new life, but this is a resurrection from bodily death. This is amazing, and this is miraculous, but Lazarus is going to die again someday. Whether it's disease or some sort of illness or old age, he is going to die. Jesus has a solution to this. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is also referring to eternal life. Nobody at the scene understands it yet, but Jesus is talking about something that is coming very, very soon. So that crowd of onlookers, if we continued reading on, we would see that some of them believed. Some of them witnessed what had happened, and they too, like Mary and Martha, believed that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the resurrection and the life. And other people couldn't. Have you ever had a friend or somebody you know who they just can't stand it when you're successful or when you win or when something good happens to you? That's like some of the people in the crowd. They saw what Jesus did and they could not stand it. And so they go and essentially tell on Jesus. They go to the religious leaders and they tell on him. And those religious leaders can't stand it either because Jesus is threatening their power and their position and their comfort. And so they begin plotting to have Jesus killed. How ironic that Jesus bringing about new life in Lazarus would be the catalytic events that would lead to his death. Whether or not you're familiar with the Bible, you probably know the outcome. Jesus is going to be led to his own excruciating death on the cross. But when he dies, something mysterious and glorious happens. He enters into the sorrow and the suffering of the world. He takes on all of the brokenness of the world and he brings it down with him into death. And on the third day, he rises again, but his resurrected body is different than Lazarus's. Remember when Lazarus came out of, the, out of his tomb, he was covered in grave clothes that they had to remove because he would need those grave clothes again. But when Jesus emerged on the third day from his tomb, He left the grave clothes behind. He does not need them anymore. He is resurrected into something new. And with this, death is defeated. Jesus wins. And we are promised that when we believe in him, we too will experience the resurrection and the life, a resurrection into new eternal bodies just like Jesus. But hear this. Our life is not just about enduring hardship and sorrow until we experience heaven or Jesus comes back again. A couple weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus saying, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd, we talked about this verse where Jesus said, the thief, that Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus was talking about this full life that we can have now. Somehow we can experience glimpses of resurrection life now. I'd like to show you a painting that I made uh, when I was going through a great loss in my life. During this particular time, I wasn't sure if I would go on. I was experiencing a profound grief and sorrow. And I used to go through long walks through the forest by myself, praying, because that's often where I feel God's presence most strongly and most clearly. 
And as I was walking, I began to notice that there were lots of stumps, like from trees that had been cut down or that had fallen over, and there were lots of dead logs on the forest floor. And with time, there were bushes and trees and shrubs and ferns that were growing out of these dead stumps and fallen logs. And then I began to notice that the tallest of the trees, you could see evidence at their roots that they had once grown out of a dead stump or a fallen tree. Dead, the dead tree, the decaying tree, is the nourishment for the new tree, for the new life. So as part of my own healing journey, I began to paint these images that I was seeing. For me, it was a picture of life springing out of death, and it became my prayer. The more I painted, the more I sensed God inviting me to embrace the sorrow, move through it, not around it, not avoid it, but go through it and come out on the other side, and somehow he would bring about some measure of resurrection life. Somehow he would redeem my pain. I've already begun to see some glimpses of how he has done this. So this particular painting that's on the screen was a commission from a ministry called Sanctuary Mental Health. Sanctuary Mental Health does amazing work. They come alongside people experiencing mental health uh, illnesses and bring about healing. They offer a mental health course that is so fantastic. Uh, they teach churches how to come alongside those struggling with mental illness. It's a great ministry. And so they commissioned me to do this painting as a part of an art exhibit, and they would sell off prints of the painting to raise money for their ministries. And so I thought, how fitting. If I did this painting coming out of my own loss and grief, it could be used in the healing of others as money was raised to put on the sanctuary mental health programs. But then I found out something else. The original painting was sold to a woman who had just given birth to a stillborn baby. She and, her, she and her husband were in the midst of the most profound grief and loss that a parent could have. But somehow when she looked at this image that came out of my profound grief and loss, she sensed God saying some things to her about this resurrection life. In particular, your baby is experiencing new resurrection life. And someday I will bring you into this new life as well. There's no resurrection without death first. Lazarus had to die to be resurrected. Jesus had to die to be resurrected. And in the same way, even though Jesus hates death and everything that comes along with it, he can work in our losses and our griefs and our sorrows to bring about some sort of resurrected life now. It's gonna take time and it's not gonna be fun in fact, it might be incredibly awful. But when we experience grief and death and loss, and Jesus says, show it to me, and when we respond and say, come and see, Jesus comes and he weeps with us, and somehow he brings us out on the other side, and we might just catch a glimpse of the resurrection that's to come. Death and grief and loss and sorrow are universal. It's not if we experience these things, it's when we experience these things. And I know some of you are in the midst of it right now. There's the death of dreams or relationships or ideals or jobs or the death of the people that you've loved the most. We don't have a choice about this, but we do have a choice in how we will go through it, how we will enter into the process. And it hinges on the same question that we've been asking and answering every single week since January. Do I believe it? Do I believe 
that Jesus sometimes makes us wait, even when the waiting is painful, because his timing is better than ours. Do I believe when I am in the midst of suffering and sorrow that Jesus enters into it and he weeps with me? Do I believe that Jesus won in his death and resurrection and that for those of us who believe in him, we will also experience a resurrection into eternal life? And do I believe that even now I can experience some sort of glimpse of that resurrection life? As we close in prayer and communion, I invite you seriously to consider the question, do I believe it? Do I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? The answer will have profound implications for our life now and the life to come. And so let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then you ask her, do you believe this? And you are asking us the same thing. Do we believe this? Do we believe that you are the resurrection and the life? Jesus, help us in our unbelief. Give us hope that there is a grand plan that is greater than what we are experiencing now. In our pain and suffering, let us find a measure of comfort that you weep with us. And most of all, give us assurance that you have already won and that you can resurrect something new and that you will bring us new life. Amen.